0: This episode is proudly brought to you by Squarespace. Hey, everybody. Squarespace is the only all-in-one web design platform that I trust to build beautiful, responsive websites, including invisiblechoir.com. There are so many easy-to-integrate available features built right into Squarespace, including an awesome appointment scheduling tool, members-only content areas, and an awesome blogging tool that I love and use for every podcast episode. So check out squarespace.com slash choir for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code choir to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash choir.
1: Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. He found another spot of blood, we believe to be blood, um, on the other side of the tree, be on the east side of the tree. Um, With that amount, I felt pretty certain that the person that was losing that blood was nearby.
0: Lawyers, judges, and members of the parole board, all difficult jobs. No one will argue with that. These aren't exactly positions where one can show up and go through the motions or clock in and clock out so to speak. From court hearings to motions filed to inevitable delays and in pre-trial meetings and everything in between, right up until a defendant stands before a judge and a jury of his or her own peers. That process can prove long and tiresome, and rightfully so. In the cases we cover, the professionals presiding over these matters oftentimes have an individual's literal fate in their hands. More reason than ever to be diligent and get it right the first time. Of course, we'd all love to believe that the American justice system is foolproof. But sadly, it isn't. And while nothing in this world is perfect, some authoritative oversights are simply inexcusable. The fact of the matter is that after a while, witnessing some of these blatant failures in our system becomes infuriating. The case you're about to hear is no different. And by the end of this one, your head might be shaking a little more than usual. When leniency is gifted to an undeserving criminal, when they receive a second chance, only to re-offend in a much more horrific yet similar manner, who's left to pick up the pieces then? The answer to that question is the families. The people inevitably cursed to stand over a loved one's closed casket. Wailing through uncontrollable sobs and tears, begging the question, why? Why hadn't anyone done anything sooner? Back in 2015, Michelle Rogers was navigating through life the best way she knew how. She was a single mom, and her first child, Alexander, had just been born a few months earlier. She was the type of mom any kid would be lucky to have, dedicating her time to raising her child while juggling a demanding career as a project engineer. She was working for a tech company in Michigan at the time and making a good living for her and her boy. Even with her busy schedule... Michelle did manage to make time for herself. She enjoyed running 5Ks and participating in distance running events. She was also strength training and preparing for even longer distance runs. It was one of her passions. She had a lust for life. But eventually, as most of us do, she realized these experiences and memories would be much better shared with someone else. And so, begrudgingly at first... Michelle decided to dip her toe into the dating pool one more time. She figured, what the hell, why not? Being that this is the most common method of meeting people these days, she decided to download a few dating apps to her phone. Michelle wasn't giving her hopes up just yet, and she was open to the idea of something serious developing, should the opportunity present itself. And sure enough, it wasn't long after swiping left a bit more than she did right, when Michelle landed on someone who caught her eye. She ended up matching with a rather good-looking man. His name was Matt, Matt Terry.
2: I met Matt Terry back in, I believe it was May of 2015. We were both on a dating app. We just started talking through there, and immediately he was very much like, oh my gosh, you're my soulmate. We have so much in common. You know, just kind of really starting, I guess, the love bombing.
0: Matt clearly wasn't wasting any time, And while he did come on a bit strong, Michelle could empathize. She wasn't interested in playing games either. She was in her late 30s, after all, and he in his early 40s. And both had been through their fair share of failed relationships. This guy seemed to know what he wanted, and Michelle was willing to humor him.
2: Buying gifts, taking me out to dinner, spending all this money.
0: On the surface, Matt Terry seemed like a pretty decent catch. He was a charming former Marine with a promising career as a computer programmer. He volunteered as a youth wrestling coach and came from a wealthy family. What's not to love? At first, Michelle actually saw Matt as checking a lot of the proverbial boxes. Requirements, if you will, she was desiring in a potential partner. Eventually, they did cross that threshold from casual to serious. And before long, they were a couple. With that being said, the whole honeymoon phase didn't last very long. According to Michelle, the magic wore off rather quickly, in fact, after she learned about his secret one true love, alcohol.
2: A few months after we had started the relationship, it just became clear that he drank too much and that he had some other issues. I couldn't really pinpoint it at the time. I will tell you that from the very beginning, there was always this feeling that I had, like this gut feeling of like, you know, something is off with him, but I don't know what it is.
0: Now, Michelle also drank, but very casually, and after finding out exactly how much Matt actually did drink, she began to realize that dating this guy long term probably wasn't in the cards. She started to plan her exit strategy soon after this realization, prepared to break up with her new boyfriend of just a few months. Only then, something unexpected happened.
2: I think it was in September of that year, I had wanted to end the relationship, found out that I was pregnant.
0: The pregnancy was certainly not planned. And when Michelle informed Matt of the news, she was clear that she was going to keep the baby. At the same time, she expressed that she didn't want him to feel pressured into sticking around if he didn't want to.
2: I had given him the opportunity to to bail on that. I said, you know, neither one of us were expecting this and I'm fully capable and willing to do this on my own and I don't need you there. And he got really upset for a few weeks and he didn't talk to me. And then he showed up at my door one day with like a large gift basket of all the pregnancy things and said, you know, I want to do this. Let's, we'll work this out and figure out how to have this kid. There was really no intent at that time to really stay together. It was just, you know, raise the child the best we could.
0: Reluctantly, Matt did eventually come around. They weren't living together at the time, but Matt began spending more and more time at Michelle's place, helping her during the pregnancy. However, Michelle began enjoying Matt's company less and less. And the reasons why kept piling up as he began to show more of his true colors. He would go to
2: you know, the bar after work and he wouldn't come back till 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night. And sometimes he would just bang on the door and yell at me and say that there was somebody in the apartment and I had to let him in and basically just threatening me to the point where I was going to call the police and I never did. But there were a few instances where that had happened.
0: After working all day long, a pregnant Michelle Rogers would come home exhausted while Matt Terry went out and got trashed with his buddies at the local pub. She knew he had a drinking problem. That much was obvious, but now he was becoming more and more angry. She hadn't seen this side of him before, and as time went on, it only got worse, and Matt Terry quickly devolved into the stereotypical jealous douchebag boyfriend who couldn't hold his liquor. At this point, she knew the relationship was through, but they were about to have a child, and before she could even break the news to Matt, their baby boy arrived.
2: May of 2016, my son was born and we continued seeing each other throughout that time period. And then at the end of the year, the end of 2016, when my lease was going to be up for my apartment, we had talked about getting a house and he was going to buy a house so that we could all move in together. And at that time, you know, I knew the relationship wasn't anything that I wanted long term, but I was really looking at selfishly my financial situation. And I'm like, well, this would be much easier if. I had some help financially to, to raise our child. So um, we did move into a house that he had purchased in December of 2016. And that was, it was like a week before Christmas that we had moved in.
0: This was just their reality. And to be fair, it's not that uncommon a scenario by any stretch. People stayed together for all sorts of reasons. And in Michelle's case, her newborn son was her sole motivation. And while she thought she was doing what she deemed best for her family, She'd learn very quickly that moving in with Matt Terry was actually the biggest and most dangerous mistake she'd ever make in her life. New Year's Eve 2017 Matt and Michelle had been fighting a lot as of late. That was nothing new. In an attempt to relieve some of the tension in their newly purchased home, they figured they'd have some friends over believing that perhaps a casual get-together would help them blow off a little steam. But instead of bringing the two closer together, Matt decided to do what he was best at, and that was getting belligerently drunk. As he continued to consume large amounts of alcohol later and later into the evening, Matt suddenly began to say things Michelle had never heard before. Very strange and manipulative things
2: we had a small party with ourselves and a couple of friends at the house and he had brought up something about how he had talked to my ex-boyfriend and how we were we were still together and I was confused. I was like, what are you talking about? I don't understand. And it it became this big blow up fight the next morning. I, I had asked him about it and I said, hey, you know, what was this about? Like, I don't understand why you were so pissed about this. And he just looked at me and he was like, oh, well, I knew you didn't do anything. I was just wondering what you would tell me. And so that was kind of one big example of how he was trying to screw with me. really.
0: Michelle couldn't even remember the last time she'd spoken to her ex. She had no idea what this guy was even trying to achieve by mentioning him. Being the adult that Michelle is, she decided to let it go, just like she would with most of the petty arguments Matt incited. Then again, we all have our breaking points, and one day she finally decided that enough was enough. Michelle finally gathered up the courage to express what she had been wanting to for such a long time, that she was leaving. She told Matt that she wanted out of the relationship. And while no breakup is easy, she didn't know that Matt would go completely off the rails at the revelation. This episode is proudly brought to you by HelloFresh. You know, we love HelloFresh at our house. It literally takes all of the guesswork out of mealtime and you get farm fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your front doorstep. One thing we really appreciate about HelloFresh is that they have so much variety in their weekly recipes. Right now, there's over 40 to choose from each week, so you can say goodbye to the same old meals and try something new each and every week. I think one of the things I love most about HelloFresh is how simple it is. They have easy-to-follow recipe cards. All of the ingredients are pre-portioned and packaged by meal. So it takes all of the guesswork out of the process and leaves you only with a delicious home-cooked dinner on the table without all of that time-consuming meal planning or preparation. They also have an awesome mobile app. So you can go in, change your weekly orders, select recipes, and set your delivery schedule. We sit down every weekend as a family and pick out our recipes for the following week instead of spending several hours at the grocery store. To give them a try today, go to hellofresh.com slash invisible five. And use code INVISIBLE65 for 65% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Invisible65 and use code INVISIBLE65 for 65% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. This episode is also proudly brought to you by Rocket Money. Did you know the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions? Yeah, me neither. Most of us think we only have a handful. But believe me, it's extremely easy to forget about a subscription after the 30-day free trial. Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower bills, all in one place. I admit I was a little skeptical after first signing up, but it showed me how many subscriptions I had completely forgotten about and even gave me the option to cancel the ones I no longer wanted or used all from within the app. And I didn't even know this was a function of the service, but I got an alert the other day that they could negotiate a different rate for my internet service. And within just a couple of days, I actually got a $12 credit on my bill. I love Rocket Money because it's helping me streamline the family budget and to save money. So, stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way. By going to rocketmoney.com slash invisible. That's rocketmoney.com slash invisible. Rocketmoney.com slash invisible.
2: There was a time when he was cooking with a cast iron pan, like on the stove. And I was there feeding, you know, the baby in the kitchen. And I had said to him, I said, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy in this relationship. And, and we need to talk about how this is going to go in the future. And he just kind of stopped what he was doing. And he took that that cast iron pan with the eggs still in it and he heaved it towards us.
0: In a fit of rage, Matt Terry threw the 10-pound cast-iron pan filled with eggs toward Michelle and their newborn son, missing both of them by mere inches.
2: Immediately got upset and I started screaming and I said, you know, you could have hit us. You could have hit our son. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, do I need to call the police? And then he got really pissed and he took his hand and he took everything off of the counter and it all went onto the floor and he, he went out into the garage and he slammed the door. And so I'm sitting there like, what the hell just happened? And I'm I'm still feeding our son and he comes back in a few minutes later and he was very apologetic and he wraps his arm around me as I'm as I'm there with our child and he says, "You know, I would never hurt you or our son. And I'm sorry." And I'm like, "Okay." And then literally that was a few weeks before he tried to kill me.
0: Michelle had never seen Matt flip a switch the way he did that morning. After this incident, she knew that moving in with him was the complete and utter wrong choice. If she didn't leave, she'd be doing more harm for their child than good. But Michelle didn't know where to turn. So in secret, she began contacting lawyers, exploring options for a safe exit out of the relationship.
2: I had actually reached out to an attorney to see what I could do about getting custody of my son to get us out of the situation. I just didn't know how to get out at that
0: point. Michelle felt the same way many people do in these sorts of abusive relationships stuck. She was also unaware of exactly how bad things actually were at the time. As Matt's drinking intensified, he was becoming increasingly more aggressive with each passing day.
2: We were, you know, driving down the highway one day and arguing about something, and our son was in the back seat just as a baby, and it was like one of the super busy highways going through the city, and he all of a sudden just slammed on his brakes, pulled over, and told me to get the fuck out of the car, like this type of thing.
0: He would act out in rage, fly off the handle, and then affectionately apologize just moments later. This cycle became a common trend in their relationship, but threatening to make Michelle walk home on the freeway would pale in comparison to what was inevitably coming next. March 17th, 2017, St. Patrick's Day.
2: We had arranged to have our child brought to his parents who lived, you know, just a couple miles down from us. And then my oldest son was going to be at his dad's for that weekend. So we had planned to take the day off work, go out for St. Patrick's Day, and just have some fun with his friends.
0: Ah, good old St. Patty's Day. Surely Matt Terry's favorite holiday, being that it is one of the biggest drinking days of the year in the United States. After making arrangements for their children, the group of friends got started with the festivities early. They had a bite to eat, threw back a couple of beers, and then kept the party going well throughout the afternoon in downtown Lansing, Michigan.
2: And there were a few other places we went to while we were down there, just again, just to have a few drinks, have some fun. It wasn't anything too crazy. Did a couple shots.
0: The group was actually having a great time. The green beers were flowing, and the kids were safe and sound back at their grandparents'. Laughs were being had all around. For once, things seemed almost normal. Michelle did make it clear to Matt, however, that they couldn't be out all night. She reminded him that he had a wrestling tournament to coach early that next morning, and that he'd be thanking her later for not showing up hungover. They were supposed to pick up the kids around 6 p.m. that evening, but Matt Terry, being the alcoholic that he was, had a much different agenda. When the sun eventually began to set, Michelle looked at her phone and realized it was time to leave. She lost Matt at some point and started to look around for him at the bar. She asked their friends, but they didn't know where he went either. Michelle eventually made her way down a hallway, which led to another dark room directly adjacent to the packed bar they had all just been drinking at. There, she would find Matt in an empty section of a closed nightclub next to some stacked up chairs nearly falling over, completely obliterated drunk and out of his mind.
2: I went up to talk to him and tell him, you know, I, w- I want to leave, let's go. He, he couldn't even speak. Like, his words were all slurred. He was stumbling all over himself. Like, it was just ridiculous. And at that point, I'd seen this too many times. I was, I was really over it.
0: It seemed this behavior was typical Matt. He cared more about being blackout drunk with his friends than picking up his own child at their scheduled time. Clearly, there's no reasoning with a person who is that intoxicated, and so Michelle left on her own volition. She gathered her belongings and began trekking back on foot, which was luckily just over a mile away. It was a cold night, and Michelle was upset, and she found herself wondering yet again how and why she was even with someone who was so selfish.
2: It was cold. I didn't have a coat. It was just starting to like flurry, so it wasn't warm out. But I just remember crying all the way home.
0: When she arrived back at the house about a half hour later, she warmed up, drank some water, and ate a sandwich. She then called Matt's parents. She apologized to them for being a few minutes late, but told them she was on her way to pick up their son. Michelle then drove the short distance to the grandparents' home, but when she got there, Matt's parents were confused, wondering why Matt wasn't with her.
2: When I got there, they kept asking me, they're like, well, where is Matt? Where is Matt? And I'm like, I don't know. He's still downtown drinking. Like, I just, I left him because I had to come get our kid. So I, you know, I picked up our son and I, I brought him back to, to our house. I fed him. I, I put him into bed. And then shortly after that, Matt had come home.
0: After Michelle put their son down to sleep, for some reason, Matt began banging on their back door. Michelle was already irritated and assumed he was too drunk to find their front door like a normal person. She figured it was like every other time he'd stumbled back in from the bars, so she unlocked the back door and let him in without saying much. She then made her way back to the couch where she'd been resting prior, trying to decompress. Meanwhile, Matt was stumbling around the kitchen attempting to make himself some food. Michelle told us that she's unsure exactly what happened next or what was said. But for some reason, Matt suddenly began charging at her.
2: And I was starting to brace myself with my arms. And I'm like, oh my God, what are you doing? And I was backing up as he was coming towards me, like he was going to tackle me.
0: Michelle stood up, but before she could react, Matt shoved her as hard as he could into the front door of the house. Matt had thrown objects, screamed, and made vain threats before, but this was the first time he'd physically put his hands on Michelle. Naturally, she was left in disbelief. She didn't know what the hell was going on. The two fell to the ground and Matt began grappling with her on the floor as if he was participating in one of his high school wrestling matches. Meanwhile, their newborn son was fast asleep in the next room.
2: He was trying to put me in like these wrestling moves. He would put me in like chokeholds or like these moves to, to where I, I wasn't able to get out of them. And so I would really have to struggle to keep getting loose. And every single time he would try to put me in a
0: different move. After the initial shock wore off of having just been tackled to the ground, Michelle began to realize that Matt was actually trying to strangle her. At one point, he got her into a chokehold and the grip of his bicep around her neck began to tighten, and Michelle started seeing stars. Finally, she was able to break free. She then leapt over Matt Terry's drunken body and bolted toward their kitchen, but Matt rose quickly behind her. He chased her and pinned her back to the ground once more. He then forced his body on top of her, only more aggressively this time. He then began punching her with closed fists as hard as he could, striking her in the face repeatedly. The next thing Michelle remembers was seeing blood everywhere.
2: I assume at that point it's because he he had broken my nose. But there was blood everywhere on the floor. And I remember taking both of my hands and I was trying to push myself up. I was trying to get up so I could run and get out of there. And every time I would try to to do that, the, the blood was slippery. And so my hands would slip. And if I would get any sort of traction, he would he would push me down to the floor, like back down with all of his weight on his body. And there were a few times where I tried to scoot back even so I could, I could get my hands into the carpet so I'd have something to grip. And he would take me and he'd shove me back onto that, that tiled floor and he would push me back down. And so I just, I couldn't get up.
0: Matt proceeded to bash Michelle's head into the kitchen tile. With each blow, her vision would go dark, black spots appearing in the corner of her eyes. She remembers fighting to stay conscious, knowing that if he did knock her out, she more than likely was not going to wake up. Matt showed no signs of stopping, but to her amazement, he suddenly did. Matt let Michelle go. He got up and just walked away. She lay there dazed and injured. And as she slowly sat up, she could see blood pouring from her fractured nose. Before fully coming to, Michelle realized that the attack was far from over.
2: And I hear the shuffling in the kitchen. And I didn't really think much of it because I was still just so dizzy, disoriented. Shortly thereafter, he came around behind me and he wrapped his arm around the front of me.
0: Michelle couldn't see him, but Matt had taken a large kitchen knife from the butcher's block.
2: And he stuck a knife right in the front of my throat.
0: While she was sitting on the kitchen floor, Matt stabbed the blade directly into the center of her neck.
2: I stood up immediately and I put my hand on my throat and I, I looked down and it was there was just blood everywhere. And he was continuing as I was standing there, you know, bleeding to, to punch me in the face. And there was, there was one point where I'm like, you know, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I love you. Please stop doing this. And he's like, no, you don't. Fuck you. I'm going to kill you.
0: Michelle's fight or flight instinct kicked in. Her reaction was to tell Matt that she loved him in order to save herself, realizing in that sobering moment that her boyfriend was attempting to murder her.
2: The only thing at that point that I could think was, holy shit, if he just punctured my throat, like, I'm literally not going to be able to breathe. I'm going to have to get help. I have to get the hell out of this house or I'm going to die in here.
0: Blood was pouring through the open wound in Michelle's neck. With her adrenaline pumping at an all-time high, she somehow managed to make a run for it.
2: Finally, there was a point where I was able to turn around and directly behind me was the garage door. And so I was able to open that door and run out to the garage. I hit the garage door button that was on the left-hand side that would open the exterior door. And I ran towards it, but it was just really slow. And so I couldn't get underneath it before he was able to get to me
0: again. And he did. Matt tackled Michelle for a third time, the knife still in his hand. They struggled now on the concrete of the garage floor, The automatic door rolled back slower than it ever had before. In a tussle, they eventually rolled underneath the partially open aluminum door as it gradually rolled back until they landed in the driveway. Matt wasn't letting up and he still had the knife.
2: We were rolling down the driveway and we landed probably about midway down the driveway and I was on my back. And he was on top of me. And I remember screaming at the top of my lungs, you know, somebody help me. He's going to kill me. Somebody please help me. The one thing I remember about that was my lungs hurt so bad. And my voice was starting to let out because I was screaming so hard.
0: Michelle yelled into the darkness, desperate for anyone to hear her and to come save her. While she was pinned there on her back, Matt started slamming her head once again, this time into the pavement. He then raised the knife and plunged the blade into her body.
2: He stabbed me three times in my right shoulder. And as he went down to stab me again, I reached up with my right hand and I I grabbed the knife kind of like in midair. So I was laying on my back and I pulled it from right to left across my chest. And as I did that, I was able to free it from his hand.
0: By now, she was severely wounded. But Michelle somehow managed to dislodge the knife by smacking it away. The knife fell to her left side. Michelle then maneuvered in a way that she was able to slide the weapon underneath her body. Matt couldn't reach it, which only made him more angry. He then grabbed Michelle by the hair again and began repeatedly pounding her skull into the asphalt.
2: Occasionally, he would reach down with his right hand and he would feel down the side of my body trying to find where the knife was. But then when he would do that, that one side of me wasn't You know, he couldn't pin it down, and so I kept trying to get up with that one side, and then he pushed me back down, and then that arm that was across my chest, he reached out and he bit it, trying to get me to let go of the knife. I just remember thinking, there's no way in hell I'm going to let go of this knife, because as soon as I do, I'm not going to be here anymore.
0: After biting her arm, Matt leaned in and took another bite, this time of Michelle's cheek, not once, but twice. She screamed in agony, but after what must have felt like hours... Michelle finally heard the sounds she'd been waiting for.
2: I hear voices from across the street yelling, get off of her. I can hear them just saying some things, but I can't really make out what they are.
0: Her neighbors had finally realized that a man was violently attacking a woman there in the driveway. Matt still had Michelle restrained on the ground, but just then another noise reverberated throughout the neighborhood, a sound which brought an even greater sense of relief.
2: I hear sirens coming, emergency vehicles, and I think he heard them too because as soon as I heard them, that's almost when he immediately when he got off of me, and then he ran back in the house.
0: Michelle was finally able to break free for good after Matt ran back through the garage and into their home. She was in dire need of medical attention and losing a lot of blood fast. She grabbed the knife and ran toward the voices coming from across the street, but she couldn't see as her contact lenses had filled up with blood blurring her vision each time she blinked. Once she finally reached the safety of her neighbor's front lawn, she collapsed, but not before tossing the weapon with what little energy she had left.
2: If he came back i didn't want him to find it so i threw the knife as i fell on my back and i just remember laying there like shivering because I was so cold i was scared and i remember saying oh my god am i gonna die and they're like you know they're, they're on the phone with 911 and they're like who did this to you and i had to communicate that and then all of a sudden i remembered my infant son was in the house and he went back in the house and i just started screaming like oh my god my baby's in the house get him the fuck out of the house my baby's my in baby, there I, 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 I,
0: This episode is proudly brought to you by Fabric. Look, we all know January and resolution go hand in hand, just like life insurance and responsible decision. With life insurance from Fabric by Gerber Life, you can help protect your family's financial future if something unexpected happens. That something for me was when my dad unexpectedly died when I was just 27 years old. He had life insurance, thankfully, and it was one less thing we had to think about during an awful and chaotic time. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Seriously, it takes less than 10 minutes to apply, see your quote, and then personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. You could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required. Protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life. Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com slash invisible. That's meetfabric.com slash invisible. M E E T fabric.com slash invisible. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. Police and EMS turned the corner just moments later. Michelle was immediately placed on a gurney and rushed into the ambulance for treatment. But she continued to flail and scream, crying out, begging for anyone to go get her boyfriend out of the house, thinking Matt might be killing their newborn son. As EMS finished cutting Michelle's clothes off, an officer came to the back of the ambulance with some news.
2: They opened the door and they said that they had they had Matt Terry in custody. And I was like, OK, thank God, you know. And then a few minutes later, they came in and they said that we have your baby. He's fine. We have him. And I just blacked out after that.
0: Michelle Rogers would eventually wake up in the hospital, surrounded by nurses, doctors, and loved ones.
2: I don't remember much until I was at the hospital, and I remember being in the trauma room. They were stitching me up and, and telling me that that they were just taking pictures and, and doing what they had to do. And I, I only remember a few seconds from that, but I remember looking over. You know, I, I saw my my mom and my my sister-in-law and my brother, and they had the baby, and um. was like I just needed to know he was safe and to see him. And once I did, I, I passed out again until the next morning.
0: Her child was safe and Matthew Terry was now in custody. The following day, Michelle woke up in the intensive care unit.
2: There were a bunch of police officers, CPS workers, detectives, everything in my room at that point to ask questions.
0: She would remain in the intensive care unit for the next five long days. Having endured an attack so brutal, it's truly amazing she's still alive.
2: So he had given me a concussion, he stabbed me seven times, he broke my nose, he broke my molar, my face was black and blue for weeks, like swollen and black and blue, and and my body was pretty beat up.
0: Not to mention the two circular scars she now had on both cheeks. A traumatic reminder Michelle is still forced to relive each time she looks in the mirror to this day. She's more than grateful for that opportunity, however, because the gift of life is not something she takes for granted these days. Some people just have an innate will to live, to survive. And Michelle Rogers wasn't going to lay down and die that day. Not for anyone, and not without a fight. After Matt Terry savagely stabbed and chewed into her flesh, beating her to within an inch of her life, Michelle was left to pick up the pieces. She'd soon start putting them back together slowly, both physically and emotionally. But before that process could even begin, The fear of Matthew Terry as a threat hadn't yet even been eliminated.
2: After he was arrested, he was bonded out of jail for $250,000 cash by his parents.
0: Let that sink in for a moment. Imagine you've just somehow narrowly escaped with your life after a near-deadly knife attack. And before you're even released from the hospital, having actively been treated for seven deep puncture stab wounds... The man responsible is currently at his mother's house with his feet up just a few miles down the road. Michelle must have thought this was a hallucination as a result of the morphine and painkillers. After all, how could this person possibly post a bond after doing something like this? It's inconceivable, but this is just one of the many unfortunate surprises that are yet to come in this story. At this point, Matt Terry was out of jail awaiting trial. Meanwhile, Michelle was living in constant fear, not only for her own life, but for that of her son as well. She was worried that Matt could show up unannounced at any time
2: was very traumatic and, and horrible for me because I had to worry about my safety. I was terrified for months after that. I would curl up in a ball and, and cry until I fell asleep. I was scared every time I would turn around, I couldn't sleep without the lights on. I slept with a knife next to me. I got a conceal and carry and bought a gun because I was terrified he was gonna come for us. I put alarm systems on the you know our apartment doors and windows.
0: All she could do was count down the days until Matt Terry's trial. And that time finally came in October of 2017. Michelle couldn't wait to put all of this behind her and move on with her life. But little did she know that this was just the beginning. Both Matt Terry's ex-wife Melissa and a college ex-girlfriend of his named Jessica would come out publicly with their stories of domestic violence, speaking out against the now defendant, but not at his eventual trial. For whatever reason, neither were allowed to testify in court. Regardless, Melissa, Jessica, and Michelle all kept in touch with one another after that, becoming unconventionally close through their unfortunate shared bond. They'd supported Michelle through the trial the best they could, as Matt Terry was being charged with attempted murder and assault with the intent to cause great bodily harm. But if a guy's family has $250,000 to throw at a cash bond, They more than likely had enough funds to hire the necessary legal representation as well. Michelle had assumed he'd be going away for a long time, but she would later admit herself that she couldn't have been more wrong.
2: He had hired a very expensive attorney that did his job. He got him off of that big charge.
0: In the end, the jury found Matthew Terry not guilty of attempted murder. He was found guilty on the lesser charge of assault with the intent to cause great bodily harm, however, and this conviction carried a sentence of three to ten years. Michelle could not believe it. Not only was this a slap in the face, but this man would be back out on the streets in no time, and sadly, even sooner than she thought. While he was behind bars, Michelle tried to carry on with life as normal, but the looming thought of Matt Terry soon getting out of prison hung over her head like a dark cloud. Then after spending just three years in prison, Matt Terry was up for his first parole hearing. Michelle Rogers then received a letter in the mail.
2: Around the three-year mark, I got a letter from the parole board that said, hey, you know, we have reviewed this prisoner. We're going to let him out. And I was like, wait a second. I thought that myself as a victim, I would have a chance to go to the parole board and, and state my story and say, look, this is why I don't want him to get out.
0: Sadly, that was not the case. In some circumstances, if a prisoner meets certain standards of compliance and behavior while incarcerated, a hearing is not always required upon their release. Matt Terry apparently fell into this privileged category.
2: But essentially, I just got a letter saying, hey, by the way, we have made the decision. We're going to let him out. And I was like, oh, hell no. And so I had to file an appeal with an attorney and pay you know thousands of dollars to try and appeal their decision.
0: But Michelle's voice was ignored. Even after paying out of pocket for her own attorney fees, her appeal was denied. And Matt Terry would soon be on the streets once again.
2: Basically, they they sent me a letter back saying, nope, screw you, we're, we're still going to let him out. We, we don't care. We, we just don't care.
0: As if this case couldn't get any more bizarre. If you could even believe it, Matt Terry's parental rights over their son had never been revoked.
2: And I was like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Like, he tried to murder me. And you're going to tell me that he's still going to have rights to his son. And they're like, well, he only hurt you. He didn't hurt your son. So, no, we're not going to terminate his rights.
0: Michelle was stuck in a living nightmare she couldn't wake up from. She was left wondering why her rights as a victim seemed to be less important than those of the man that literally put a knife through her neck. She continued to fight, however, doing whatever she could to keep her axe under the thumb of the law for as long as possible. In a last-ditch effort, she even wrote a letter to the state prosecutor's office, reiterating just how dangerous a man Matt Terry was.
2: I had reached out to them and I said, hey, this is bullshit. He He shouldn't be out after three years, number one. And number two, he shouldn't only be on parole for a year. He is a great risk to me and my family, and he's a risk to society. Like, you can't let this happen.
0: Surprisingly, they agreed, at least in part. With a helpful push from Michelle, the state prosecutor's office chose to do something they do not often do, which was to write a personal letter to the parole board, requesting that the conditions of Matthew Terry's release be reconsidered and reevaluated. Dear Chairperson, I'm writing concerning the pending parole service of inmate Matthew Terry. Mr. Terry is set to undergo a reentry and parole in September. It's my belief that this offender and the public would benefit from an enhanced level of supervision. It's my hope that he be assigned two full years of parole, rather than one. In the most recent case for which he is now incarcerated, he was intoxicated and repeatedly bludgeoned, stabbed, and punched a girlfriend numerous times. We went to trial on assault with intent to commit murder, and the jury convicted only for great bodily harm. The victim on this case has expressed that the offender is a, quote, psychopath, with a history of abusive behavior. Reentry programming with adequate supervision will increase the chances that Mr. Terry will not recidivate. A GPS would hopefully keep him away from a past victim, but wouldn't keep him from new abusive relationships. We see all too often with domestic abusers that they have serial relationships, each abusive. It's our hope that we can break this pattern and that Mr. Terry will join the ranks of those who successfully complete MDOC parole and reentry programming. Sincerely, Ingram County Prosecutor Sadly, the letter did nothing, and in December of 2020, Matt Terry was released on parole as planned, with his original one-year probationary period to remain in place. No conditions were revised, and Michelle's repeated pleas for justice had once again fallen on deaf ears. But every action, as they say, has a reaction, and the decision to allow Matthew Terry to reintegrate into society would ultimately wind up being one of the biggest missteps the state of Michigan had ever taken. One interesting paragraph in the county prosecutor's letter to the parole board was one of the very last sections, The part about keeping Matt Terry from his past victim via GPS monitoring, but also mentioning the uncertainty of keeping his new unsuspecting partners safe. Well, they hit the nail on the head with that one, and the foreshadowing in their statement looking back is troubling. Matt Terry would indeed become involved with a new girlfriend, a woman by the name of Kay Baker. Kay was a third grade teacher. And apparently her and Matt had dated long before he'd even met Michelle Rogers. The way that Michelle learned he'd found someone new was interesting, to say the least.
2: Kay Baker apparently was an old friend of Matt's. Like, they had known each other for a very long time. They had, from what I understand, previously dated. In 2017, when he got in trouble and he was going through trial, she had attended trial. And I remember seeing her there on his behalf. And supporting him along with his friends and family. I wasn't allowed to be in the courtroom, but I was also told that she testified on his behalf for his character.
0: During the attempted murder trial, Matt's new girlfriend, Kay, actually took the stand to tell the court what a great guy he was. And after he was sentenced, Kay and Matt maintained a relationship while he was incarcerated and living behind bars.
2: From that point, they regularly communicated through jail calls and and things while he was in, in prison until he got out. And then she started coming to Michigan to visit him.
0: Kay Baker lived in Florida with her two sons. She traveled the long distance north to visit Matt once he got out of prison after only three years. Before this, Michelle had been actively filing paperwork to leave the state herself, trying to get her and her son away from his father as quickly as possible. And after a year-long court battle, she was eventually awarded full custody, and she and her son moved far away. But just like every other due process logistical consideration in this entire ordeal, the custody issue wouldn't prove that simple. Matt still had maintained parental rights over their son, despite having tried to kill this child's mother. Within those rights, he was allowed to file for reunification therapy. This would mean that if the court ruled in his favor, Matt Terry would be permitted supervised Zoom visits with the boy. And if the reunification therapist eventually deemed that these visits were going well over time, Matt Terry might eventually be granted in-person visits as well. Michelle was baffled, but continued to contest aloud the entire way. The only reason she knew the details of Matt and Kay's new relationship was because Kay testified again at one of their child's reunification hearings.
2: she also testified to his character in the reunification therapy hearing. And I just remember shaking my head during that whole hearing and the referee, the court referee yelled at me and she was like, "Miss Rogers, you can't shake your head the whole time. And I'm like, I am concerned about this girl.
0: At that very same hearing, the judge awarded Matt Terry the Zoom meeting visitation rights with his son.
2: The judge basically reamed me a new ass and she said, you know, you can't keep your son away from his dad. His dad has a right to know his child. And then she told me that whether I like it or not, he's going to see his dad and that I need to have therapy for my PTSD because I need to learn to deal with it.
0: Meanwhile, Matt Terry eventually found out where Michelle and their son had relocated to.
2: He was sending like presents and things to the house. And I'm like, I don't even like them knowing where we live. Like, And I would send these things back, like return to sender or whatever, stop sending them. And the judge was like, you know, you can't do that. You're prohibiting him from knowing his child.
0: Michelle was terrified that Matt had knowledge of where they were after trying to get away for so long. The visitations were a major concern, but she also had a brand new set of worries to deal with, and that was her fears over the safety of Matt's seemingly naive new girlfriend. Michelle barely knew Kay Baker but she knew what Matt was capable of. And in an effort to remind Kay of this, she managed to get her cell phone number. Michelle eventually reached out and warned Kay to be careful.
2: I sent her a text, and it included a picture of myself when I was at the hospital that was pretty pretty gruesome. And I said, you know, he's not who he says he is. He's manipulative, and he's going to hurt you. You know, please, 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 just get out of this, like, don't let him do this to you. And I sent her that picture and then she had responded with, you know, something like, I'm not helping him. I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, no, I know you're lying to me, but.
0: Michelle sent the message and then decided to block Kay's number. After all, she didn't want to be friends with the woman, but she didn't want her to go through what she had either or possibly even worse. That was the very last time Michelle and Kay Baker had ever communicated Aside from the pending Zoom meetings mandated by the courts, things seemed to quiet down, in Michelle's world anyway. But in March of 2022, Matt Terry moved to Florida with Kay Baker. Michelle wouldn't find out about this until roughly one month later. Unfortunately, not even 60 days after Matt and Kay had moved to Florida, the warnings Michelle Rogers had been screaming from the rooftops were finally realized, in the most vicious and tragic of ways imaginable. May 27th, 2022, Matt Terry, his girlfriend Kay Baker, and a small group of friends head out for a few drinks in Hillsborough County, Florida. They wind up at a place called The Landing, a bar located in a strip mall plaza in the town of Valrico. From surveillance video footage captured inside the bar, it looked like any other busy Saturday night. Matt, Kay, Kay's friend Kelly, and her husband Sean can be seen on the video sitting at a high top table, laughing and appearing to have an all-around good time. Moments later, Kay gets up and walks toward the bathrooms. Then at approximately 10.01 p.m., she exits the restroom. As she ventures along the back wall and toward the bar, she sees her friend Kelly approaching. As the two converge there at the corner of the bar, they begin playfully dancing with one another, embracing each other in the moment. As this is happening, another man wearing a Dustin Pedroia baseball jersey, who just moments before was walking behind her friend Kelly, innocently crosses paths with the two women on his way to the bathroom. In passing, the man laughs and lightheartedly pumps his fists in the air as if dancing along with the two women as he politely skirts by. Kelly and Kay then embrace one another in a hug. And in that exact moment, we also see Matt Terry enter the frame. He's exiting the bathroom as well, and has clearly witnessed the innocuous interaction between the women and the passing man. Acting as though he had just caught his girlfriend Kay dancing with a stranger, Matt confidently passes the man, approaches the two women, and gently slaps Kay on the butt. He continues walking and, without ever breaking his stride, looks back at Kay and Kelly as if to convey his control of the situation. Kay thought nothing of the two-second encounter with the stranger. Most people wouldn't. But her boyfriend, Matt Terry, wasn't most people. The man in the baseball jersey never even stopped walking, never broke his stride as he passed her on his way to the bathroom. But that didn't matter. Matt walked past the two of them while glaring at his girlfriend Kay as he furiously made his way to the bar to purchase another drink. Just three minutes later, at 10.04 p.m., Matt Terry can be seen back at their high-top table out on the patio. As Kay Baker exits the bar and comes out onto the patio, she runs into a man she knows and stops to talk to him and his friend briefly. Now, standing less than 20 feet from her boyfriend outside, Kay Baker has no idea that Matt is now intently watching her. Shifting uncomfortably in his chair while aggressively crossing and uncrossing his arms as he waits for her to return to their table. Just then, Kay's friend Kelly returns from inside.
3: When I sat down, um, Matt immediately asked me who was Kay dancing with.
1: And did you have any idea in that moment what he was talking about?
3: No, I mean, I I knew that there was a gentleman that passed us, um, but explained that she wasn't dancing with him, that it was just a near passing.
1: And so did you specifically tell the defendant that Kay Baker was not dancing with the other guy? Correct. How did the defendant react or respond to that?
3: Um, He was very insistent that she did and that um, I remember him saying something very strange along the lines of, I want to protect my queen and my kingdom. I was telling him he was being jealous and just to stop.
0: At 10.09 p.m., Matt Terry gets up from the table with a drink in hand and delivers it to Kay, who is still chatting with friends on the other side of the patio. At this point, the situation seems to have been diffused. Matt hands the drink to Kay, she puts her arm around him, and proceeds to rub his back. Everything seems fine, until both Matt and Kay return to the high-top table to rejoin their friends.
3: Um... Kay came up to me and asked me what was Matt talking about, and when he returned, he said, just own up to it.
1: Mr. Terry said, just own up to it? Yes. Who did that comment appear directed at? Kay. So he was telling Kay Baker to just own up to it, and what ensued following just own up to it?
3: Um, She basically said, how can I own up to something that didn't happen?
1: And at that point, did you realize that Mr. Terry was still accusing Kay Baker of dancing with someone else? Yes, I did.
0: Her friend Kelly then becomes very defensive of Kay. Kay then steps back from the table and an argument between her and Matt ensues. The altercation lasts roughly three or four minutes before Kay Baker ultimately walks away. About an hour and a half later, at just after 11.38 p.m., Kay's friend Kelly orders an Uber for her and her husband. While they wait for their ride to show up outside, Matt and Kay decide it was time to call it a night also. Matt gives the husband, Sean, a hug, but not Kelly. Surveillance video captures Kay Baker playfully pushing Matt while laughing. The whole dancing ordeal seemed to be a thing of the past by this hour, at least from the video footage. Kay then finally says her goodbyes to her friends, and she and Matt exit the bar. Matt and Kay had taken their own car home, but just 10 minutes later at 11.48, while still at the bar waiting for their Uber, Kelly receives a phone call. It was Kay on the other end of the line. She was still in the car with Matt on the way home, when Matt apparently started up the argument once more.
3: She's calling me because Matt is accusing her again of dancing with that guy. I was on speaker because he could hear me. I was telling him to stop. You're just being jealous. You need to just drop it.
0: Kelly seemed to have successfully talked some sense into Matt during the phone call. While on speakerphone, Kelly heard him say something to the effect of, Okay, okay, you're right. He then hung up the phone. At 11.56pm, Kelly receives this text message from Kay. LOL, sorry for that. So dumb. All good now. The message was followed by a smiley face emoji. Kelly then responded back by saying, Tell Matt to stop being stupid or I'm going to punch him in the balls. Kay never responded. Kelly and Sean were still at the bar waiting for their ride, and she expressed to her husband that she was worried. Sean assured his wife that everything was fine. Moments later, their Uber arrives and Kelly and Sean leave the bar. following morning on Sunday, May 29th, 2022, Kelly awoke to several calls and text messages, but none from her friend Kay.
1: The next morning, did you wake up to news from either the actual news, like on TV or from other people who were text messaging you or whatever the case may be? Yes, I did. And did you have reason to suspect that something might have happened to Ms. Baker?
3: Yes, I did.
0: Kelly had received a call from Kay Baker's neighbor, He was wondering if she knew what was going on because there were police at her and Matt's residence. Kelly hung up the phone and texted her friend Kay again at 9.32 a.m. that morning. Call or text me ASAP. Your neighbor told me there were cops at your house last night? Again, no answer. Sadly, it wasn't long after that that police came knocking on Kelly's door. They were looking for information about the night before. And eventually informed her that her best friend Kay had in fact... Been brutally murdered. According to the affidavit, about a half hour after Kay sent her last text message to Kelly, a neighbor heard a loud thud followed by a woman yelling at 1229 AM. The neighbor ran outside following the direction of the scream as best they could, only to find Kay Baker laying in between her and the neighbor's yard. She had a long and deep laceration to her neck. The body was there. I tried to get their attention. I walked a little bit closer. And uh, I saw a pool of blood. When the neighbor realized that the victim was seriously injured, he shouted to his wife to call 911 for police and ambulance support. The man then heard a rustling in the bushes just a few feet away that sounded like someone running through the woods. Kay Baker was still alive, but was barely hanging on and desperately gasping for air. And while the neighbor's wife was on the phone with 911, dispatch provided life-saving instructions to the man now knelt down beside her.
1: And eventually at some point, are you given instructions to try and like render aid? Yes, yes. Do do you try and render aid to this person? I did, yeah. And so when you initially described them, you described them as laying on the right side of their face, their left shoulder is kind of up. Do you have to reposition them in any way? I did, I had to uh, take the left shoulder and kind of, scoot them back so that they were fully on the back. All right. So you take left shoulder and turn left shoulder now towards the ground, their face up face up. Yes. And what, if anything, do you notice about this person? Uh, there's a large gash to the uh, jaw and neck area.
0: By the time the ambulance arrived, Kay was gone. Her entire throat had been cut essentially from ear to ear. Authorities followed a blood trail from her body in the yard back to the house. A bedroom window on the cell side had been pushed out, and after making entry to the home, there was clear evidence of a struggle.
1: Uh, there, was, there was some damage to that the, the door frame of that bathroom. Did you or any of your fellow officers do that, or was that already existing
0: there when you arrived? No, sir, it was already there when we arrived. As responding officers quickly worked as a team to systematically clear each room in the home, they came to the master bedroom where they found the door had been locked. After announcing their presence, they kicked it down. Once inside, it was quickly evident that there was no one in the room, only a busted-out window. Matt Terry's Ford Focus was still parked there in the driveway, but he was nowhere to be found. Another neighbor was interviewed, and he informed the police that he was actually at the landing bar that night and had witnessed the earlier confrontation between Matt and Kay Baker just a few hours before. The search for their suspect escalated quickly. Police helicopters flew overhead using thermal cameras, and eventually they saw movement, along with a thermal imprint that appeared to be the outline of someone hiding in the bushes. K-9 units were quickly brought to the scene, and eventually the dogs tracked a scent by following a trail of blood. The trail led them about 100 yards away from where Kay's body was found.
3: Now, once you have got to that large amount of blood, There was enough on two separate spots that you actually thought we might be near somebody, right? Yes, ma'am. And that's why you pulled out Champ, for his own safety, because you don't know what you're going to run into, right?
1: Yes, ma'am. Okay.
3: And I know you were off putting Champ away, but you did, in fact, see Matthew Terry being taken out at some point, right?
1: Yes, ma'am.
3: And you saw that he actually had to be sort of held up by another deputy and walked out, right? Yes, ma'am. He had blood on him.
1: What I believe to be blood, yes, ma'am.
3: He was injured? Yes, ma'am. And he was staggering and had to be helped to the ground by that other deputy, right?
0: Yes, ma'am. The search lasted a few hours, but it took less than 30 seconds of walking that tree line for the canine unit to locate Matt Terry just after 5 a.m. He was laying on his back and was covered in blood, wearing only a t-shirt and a pair of underwear. He appeared to have two superficial knife wounds to his neck, described as, quote, clean puncture marks. He also had small cuts to his fingers and hands, all believed to have been self-inflicted. He refused to speak to the authorities without an attorney present and was placed into handcuffs and under arrest for suspicion of first-degree murder. The medical examiner on scene the morning of the murder observed Kay Baker to have suffered several stab wounds to her right shoulder. In addition, she had been stabbed many times in the back of her neck, including what was believed to have been the fatal wound, the acute laceration to the front of her throat. It appeared that the alleged had attempted to sever Miss Baker's head entirely, as the cut was so deep she'd been nearly decapitated. No murder weapon was found at the scene, and investigators found no blood inside of the home. But they did notice that a large knife was missing from the butcher's block in Kay's kitchen. Investigators concluded early on that Kay Baker had presumably locked the bedroom door and attempted to flee out of her bedroom window as she was being attacked. She only made it a few yards before being chased down by Matt. It was believed that Terry exited through the front door of the home, and once he caught up to Baker, proceeded to stab her to death in the backyard. Several days before Kay Baker was killed, Matt Terry's flight had already been booked. He was getting ready to have his first in-person visit with the son he and Michelle shared.
2: He was scheduled to come to Minnesota to meet my son in person in a room with a therapist and I couldn't be there. And I was terrified. I was ordered to do it by the court. If I didn't do it, I could go to jail. A couple weeks before he was coming to Minnesota to do that, he got arrested for murder in Florida.
0: Michelle told us about the exact moment she learned Kay Baker had been murdered. It was after receiving a call from Matt Terry's ex-wife.
2: It was a weird feeling. I was sitting there with my mom. I was actually back in Michigan for a visit. My phone was there and it, it was ringing and the, the name on the phone was his ex-wife. His his ex-wife and his ex-girlfriend and I have all become friends since they came forward for me about their abuse in 2017. The phone call came up and it was her name and I'm like, uh-oh, like she never just calls me. What's wrong? And I just instantly had this bad gut feeling and she was hysterical. She said, he did it, Michelle. He did it. He fucking did it. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And she's like, He fucking killed her. He killed her. And I'm like, what? What? And she's like, Matt killed Kay.
0: Michelle explained to us the complex series of emotions she felt that day, ranging from anger to complete surprise. The writing had been on the wall all along, and the authorities had ample time to assess and intervene. And yet nothing was done, and it was far too late.
2: You know, I'm like, I fucking told these people. I told them he was going to kill somebody. I told them, I told them, and they wouldn't listen. And she was like, I know you did. I know you did. And there's nothing else we could have done. I felt horrible for her family, but I was more pissed than ever that nobody listened to me, that nobody listened.
0: After receiving that phone call, Michelle couldn't help but think what might have happened if Matt Terry did make it to Minnesota to meet their son as planned. She knew he would eventually hurt someone else. She told everyone he may even kill someone, and he did. She was right all along, and it was never a matter of if. It was always when in her mind.
2: I don't know what he would have done when he came here. I don't know if he would have hurt our child. I don't know if he would have killed the therapist. I don't know what he would have done. God forbid. It's unfortunate that what happened happened, but I was very grateful that he was back in jail where he belonged.
0: Michelle Rogers reiterated to us that Kay Baker's life should be the focal point here and that her legacy takes precedence over anything else. At the very same time, Michelle Rogers had nearly suffered precisely the same fate as Kay Baker. There was clear data to predict this trajectory of violence and that could have been prevented, so it's easy to understand her frustration. Kay Baker was just 43 years old when she was killed. She was born in Lansing, Michigan and taught elementary math and science. She had more true friends than most and loved traveling. Michigan State was her football team, and she left behind two young boys. In lieu of flowers for her memorial ceremony, her family requested donations be made to local domestic violence organizations. Matthew Terry's murder trial was scheduled to begin in October of 2022, At the time, the Hillsborough County State Attorney initially stated that they would not be planning to seek the death penalty in the case, but instead a life sentence. However, that state attorney was inevitably suspended for unrelated matters before the trial began. Therefore, after a short delay, a new state attorney was appointed to the case, Susan Lopez, and unlike her predecessor, she decided the prosecutor's office would be seeking the death penalty after all. Matt Terry would plead not guilty to the charge. And on November 7, 2022, opening arguments of the trial were finally heard aloud in court. The defense insisted throughout that they had the wrong guy, that the murderer wasn't Matt Terry at all, and that the killer was still out there. They harped on Terry's knife wounds and explained that a murder weapon had never actually been recovered. Throughout much of the proceedings, Matt Terry sat with a smug grin on his face. His visible demeanor so arrogant that it stood out to most who watched the trial, especially considering the brutality and magnitude of the crime. On day five, the mood in the courtroom shifted entirely after Michelle Rogers took the stand. She provided her full account of the day Matt Terry came dangerously close to taking her life in almost exactly the same fashion back in 2017.
2: It's never easy to get up in front of him. He terrifies the shit out of me. And there's a lot of people that are like, well, you don't look scared. You know, you're very strong. And I'm like, no, I'm not up there. I'm shaking. I'm sweating. Just walking past him a few feet away makes me want to throw up. I hated every minute of it. But the other part of me that gives me some strength to be able to do those things is that, number one, it's the right thing to do. And number two, this fucker needs to get put away. He can't continue to do this. The right thing needs to happen to him. And I'm going to be the one to have to do it, I guess.
0: Twice. Michelle Rogers took the stand twice, once on her own behalf when Matt Terry tried to kill her five years before, and once more, now defending a fellow victim of domestic violence, was no longer able to speak for herself. In a way, Michelle Rogers would become Kay Baker's voice, and she was going to do everything in her power once more to make sure that Matt Terry was finally put away for good. Still, Terry's attitude throughout the course of his trial was that of someone who believed they'd be going home at some point. In fact, the very same day Michelle took the stand, Matt Terry would address the court himself, explaining to the judge that, though he wished to testify on behalf of his own defense, he was going to take his attorney's advice and waive his right to do so. Have you
1: made a decision? Yes. What is your decision? My desire is to testify... However, I am going to follow my attorney's advice and not testify. Therefore, I will not be testifying. Well,
0: need to be very careful here. It is your decision and it is not their decision. Do you understand that? Yes, I have decided to
1: follow their advice and to not testify. That is my decision. Is not to testify. Yes. However, my desire hasn't changed.
0: The judge is extremely patient here, and this is just an example of how manipulative and gratuitously pompous Matt Terry really is. Eventually, he would sit down and inevitably take the advice of his legal counsel, which was to effectively shut his mouth. The trial moved fast. After only seven days and an additional one hour and ten minutes of jury deliberations, a verdict was returned. Guilty of first-degree premeditated murder. During the sentencing phase, the judge addressed Matt Terry directly, looking him squarely in the eye as he sealed his fate.
1: I believe that you should have been in prison
0: in Michigan and that Miss Baker should still be alive. This is Florida. You're going to prison for the rest of your life. I adjudicate you guilty. I sentence you to life in prison. Thank you. The only thing Matt Terry has to smile about now is that he avoided a seat on death row. It's eerie to consider the similarities of those two nights when he attacked both Michelle Rogers and Kay Baker. They'd both been drinking at the bar before coming home and having the very same type of kitchen knife pressed to their throats. Kay wasn't as lucky as Michelle, however, something that Miss Rogers thinks about every day. One of the biggest lessons she says she's learned throughout all of this is that evil does have a face, though it can be hard to tell through a charming, bright smile.
2: Welcome to the world of a manipulative, narcissistic, psychopathic asshole. He's this prim and proper, well-cut, well-spoken, educated white guy from a good family that had money and and was involved in the community. If you look at him, he doesn't fit the the role of like a murderer during the relationship. He said, you know, if you know enough people and you have enough money, you can get away with anything.
0: And perhaps that was Matt Terry in a nutshell. A guy who thought he knew everything and that he could get away with whatever he wanted. And quite frankly, he did. No one ever gave this man reason to think otherwise. Even after abusing countless women, attempting to murder one and ultimately committing homicide in regard to his final victim. Kay Baker paid the ultimate price for the state's negligence and because ultimately many people failed to do their jobs. The cost was her life, an unimaginable toll for her family to pay. We asked Michelle Rogers if she could leave our listeners with one last thing, what it might be. She just hoped that her and Kay's stories can help, even if it's just one person escaping an abusive relationship while they still can.
2: You know, I just, I really want there to be change. I want people to start listening to the victims. You know, we're not just saying that we're being abused to say we're being abused. And I think at some point we need to be taken seriously instead of giving the abusers all the rights. I'm... Sure, you hear the stories every day like I do about people you know, getting bounded out of jail and immediately going to murder their girlfriends or, or wives or you know kids or whatever it might be. And it's just it's becoming an epidemic and we have to do something about it. I don't know how to do that personally other than keep telling my story and keep talking about it. And I hope that as a society, we learn to be able to get rid of the stigma around it and start speaking up and start talking about it because that's the only way that we stop it.